But I think, for the most part, we just need to remember that Christ wants to come to us. Mm-hmm. There's a scripture in Second Nephi that talks about the Spirit, and it says it will carry the message unto the heart. It doesn't say it'll carry it into the heart. Mm-hmm. And That's that was right. something we always focused on as missionaries, that as much as you bring the Spirit into the lesson, if their heart's not open, it's, it's not going to penetrate it. Welcome back to the podcast. I have an awesome conversation for you today. It is with a friend of mine, Tyler White. Well, he is in my ward and he used to be one of my teacher's quorum instructors for a little while. I got to know him a little bit back then and he was a really fun person and I feel like in this conversation I got to know him a lot better. So I really hope that you enjoy it. We talk about his mission. We talk about how we can help other people come unto Christ and how we can be there for them and kind of just what our personal role is in helping other people come unto him. We also talk about how, so Brother White, Tyler White, is a pilot and we talk about how that relates to the gospel. We talk about some of the things he does as a pilot. It's I think it's pretty cool and I hope that you enjoy. Um, also, I will be starting season two of my podcast on New Year's Day. I'm just changing it up a little bit. I am going to be having, well, I'm actually starting a YouTube channel. It's called Wrestle Change Realize. There's nothing posted right now, um, so I don't know if you can access it. But I will be posting on there most likely every week, and I will also post the audio from those videos. I just want to give short little scripture thoughts and things like that and so I will be putting those on my YouTube channel and my podcast and then I'm going to be having two interviews every week most likely I will be doing someone from my priest quorum each week and then I will also be doing just another one a friend an adult a return missionary hopefully and I think it'll be awesome so I hope you enjoy today's episode and I've got a whole lot more stuff coming your way and I really want to do some great things before I go on my mission, so please enjoy. And this is episode 11 of the Coleman Thompson Podcast. Thank you for being here, Tyler. (laughs) Anytime, anytime. Um, So I just want to start off with, uh, could you just introduce yourself to anyone listening? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Tyler White. I am lucky to be one of Coleman's neighbors. And a little bit about me, I'm 28 years old. I am married, have an awesome wife, and then I have three crazy kids, a five-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a a seven-month-old. I work as an airline pilot for a living, so that's super fun. And then some of my hobbies is I enjoy photography. I love taking pictures. Um, I love being outdoors, I love hiking, and just, yeah, doing anything that can get me outdoors, essentially. That's cool. Um, One thing on photography, is there, like, certain thing that, I don't know, was there a certain time that you, like, realized you wanted to get into that a little bit? Because there's, like, been certain moments I'm like, oh, wow, I'd love to be able to get better at taking pictures and stuff. Yeah, for me, it started, actually, in high school. My I went to Bingham High School, I'm sorry for... (laughs) all of you Viking listeners here we were always kind of rivals and you guys are incredible at sports as well 
Um, but at Bingham, we had our own darkroom, which back in the day before like digital photography, that's where you would like process photos, like film photos. So I took a film photography class where you learned about, you know, exposure, shutter speed, all of that. I used my grandpa's old film camera, and then we would even develop our own film and pictures in the darkroom, which smelled really bad. Like the chemicals they used smelled <laughs> oh, pretty bad. But um, it was cool to learn all the techniques, and then ever since then I was just kind of, I don't know, hooked on photography. Had a little like point and shoot camera on my mission that I loved, and then just came back, and it's a hobby that I can do like when I'm hiking with my family or. I can take my camera with me on, you know, flight trips and take pictures on my overnights or whatever, so it's fun. Yeah, that's cool. Um, maybe let's start talking a little bit about your mission. So where did you serve your mission? I served in Washington, D.C., Spanish-speaking. That's cool. So uh, when did you know that you wanted to go on a mission? Were there experiences leading up to that that you kind of realized yeah, definitely. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much detail to go into, but I think middle school for me was a very hard time, as it is for most people, yeah. just because I think it's when you go from, like, an elementary school to middle school, and there's just way more kids, and it becomes way more, like, clicky. Like, everybody's trying to kind of fit in and figure out, like, what type of person they are. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was kind of like a dark time because I think I cared way too much about what other people thought. And um, I was just always, I just seems like I was always angry. I had, I used bad language. I was just kind of a punk. I fought with my parents way too much. And there was a time when I think I was a either sophomore or junior in high school. Um, and I just started taking things more seriously like in seminary you know because before it was just like a thing I went to just to kind of check boxes you know mm -hmm. and then I started actually doing everything you know that they tell us to do but I, yeah. I did it kind of like on my own heart and for my own purpose kind of what you've talked about on your podcast you know like figuring things out for yourself like mm -hmm. doing it for yourself like yeah instead of just doing homework just because they say so like trying to find purpose in it and I did that with like scripture study and my prayers and it was like I don't know it was like a light switch had gone off and uh, I started realizing what truly mattered and that was God's opinion of me yeah <laughs> and not really anybody else's and as soon as I figured that out I just saw the happiness in my life just go up exceedingly yeah and then after that I don't know I was never like really like pressured to go on a mission my parents were like I have really awesome parents and they're like if you want to go on a mission that's fine we 100% persuade you but we're not gonna like pressure you to doing so yeah um, but just because I had seen like the night and day difference between like my middle school years and my high school years and how happy like living the gospel had made me I just wanted to share it so yeah that was kind of my yeah I want to do this for sure moment that's cool and I, I want to talk a little bit about um, like what you were saying just like finding your own purpose with like <laughs> the gospel and stuff because I feel like and I think this is why the church has kind of gone more to like a family approach and stuff and like personal goals and stuff because it's so different for everyone and like we all have our own pace that we need to move at and stuff but uh, 
I mean, what did you start doing kind of like, was it just a daily scripture study or how did? That's a great question. So one of my favorite Institute teachers when I was at UBU, because I went back in the day um, when you still were, you had to be 19 essentially to go on a mission yeah. for the age change. And my birthday is in March. So I could squeeze in essentially a full year of college um, before my mission. And I was already stoked on going. I was like, I'm, I'm going. Yeah. And I, I would go to Institute. And um, one of my Institute teachers, we read that talk where it says, you know, the best way to become, to prepare for a missionary is, is to be a missionary now. Mm-hmm. Can't remember who gave it, but he would essentially challenge us to do three things every day, um, which was, he used the acronym SAM. So S-A-M. And S stood for a significant scripture like in your scripture study, like find a significant scripture that that stands out to you. And if yeah. you only have to read two verses, like then, you know, that was a successful scripture study for the day. Um, but he's like, just read until you find an, a scripture that's significant to you. That was the S. A was act of service, do an act of service daily. And then M was a missionary moment. Mm-hmm. So try to try to find a missionary moment, whether it's with a friend who's less active or, you know, somebody who you know you don't know and just try try having a missionary moment with them yeah um and just trying to do those three things daily kind of put me in the mindset put me in the i don't know gave me the drive to kind of you know get even more excited and get more ready to go on a mission made it a lot easier too that's awesome and i think the significant scripture thing is pretty cool and i i've noticed like as i've studied the book of mormon more there's always something that stands out and sometimes i go try to share it with like people in my family like the scripture that i found and like it doesn't like you can tell like it doesn't mean as much to them so it's kind of like okay you have to just remember that and then i've noticed that there's then moments show up every now and then where i can share that and it's actually in a meaningful moment you know so what's What's a scripture that, uh, I don't know, what's a meaningful scripture to you we can just talk about? Um, man, a meaningful scripture to me, it just depends on, on what I'm going through or what somebody else I'm going through, somebody else I know is going through. Um, I think what you said, just constantly reading the scriptures is the key because there's that scripture in Doctrine and Covenants that talks about treasuring up in your minds continually the word of God. And I kind of think of it like like a bookshelf, you know? Like, you have this bookshelf in your mind, and the only way you can have it there is if you actually read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And then the cool thing about when you're on a mission or when you find that significant scripture is, you know, the Spirit will really help you kind of draw on that bookshelf um, when you need it most. So if you're talking to somebody who's really struggling with, you know, trials or they feel weak or something like that and you've recently read one like that but you can't exactly remember where, like, you know, that's when the Spirit will help you, like, kind of pull it off of that bookshelf and help somebody else out um, or just help yourself out personally. And that's that, to me, is what a significant scripture is, is, like, one that can have impact, give somebody hope, kind of give them an anchor as well if they need it. Yeah, that's cool. And so uh, let's talk a little bit just about your mission itself uh so did you know you you said spanish speaking right Mm -hmm. and did you know any spanish or anything before you went out i took uh two years in high school um 
so I knew a little bit, you know. Yeah. But it, <laughs> I, I'm kind of an over-studious type of person anyway, so I did get good grades in high school. Like, I got A's in my Spanish classes. Yeah. But I wouldn't say my Spanish was <laughs> amazing. I, yeah. I want to say we probably passed, like, my Spanish skills, like, after the first week in the MTC. <laughs> just because <laughs> it's such a such an accelerated... I mean, they just throw yeah. you right into the deep, de- deep end, you know. It's like, yeah. hey, when you're at... When you're even outside in the MTC, like, playing volleyball, like, we want you guys to still speak Spanish amongst mm-hmm. each other. And that was hard to do. It's a lot harder to do because th- those are the times when... You're either eating lunch with your mission companion, you know, or you're at the gym or whatever. Like, during your breaks, those are kind of seen as, like, okay, I can relax my brain. I can speak English or whatever. But those are actually the times where you need to kind of just... Yeah, it'd be the best time. Yeah, button down and and practice your Spanish. And that's, that's you know, you got to give it your all in order for the gift of tongues to kick in, essentially. Yeah. So did you have, like, a specific time or moment where it, like, suddenly became better for you or because i know that of a few people who have like all of a sudden like they're able to get the language or whatever but like did something like that happen for you yeah i want to say that happened within the first couple months when i was actually out on the field i feel like when i left the mtc i don't know like i understood words and i understood like conversation and how to conjugate and all of that stuff um but you don't notice in the mtc you just do it on a much slower level like when your teachers they want you to learn clearly so they kind of speak slower Mm -hmm. and then you get out on the field and people are talking at a normal pace just like you and me right now and it sounds really fast but I remember there was just a time when it finally just clicked I was like actually that's just like a normal normal. speed (laughs) and my brain could kind of keep up because it's a weird moment when your brain goes from like translating to just listening in spanish and unders i don't know it's it's hard to explain but yeah there's just like a moment when it clicks and it's like you're not having to trans like translate in your mind wait what did they just say it's just like coming naturally and you're just responding naturally in spanish which is it's a really cool moment when that does happen (laughs) were you excited like when you i don't know what were your thoughts when you got your call at first so i was called to the washington dc north mission and i was and then i read down and it said spanish speaking i was like are there even people who like is there that many people that speak Spanish in yeah <laughs> it was a very um, naive comment because man I got there and it it was just it's such just a diverse cultural pot in DC it's so exciting like we had five mission programs in our mission so we had English Spanish French um, American Sign Language and wow. Mandarin speaking Dang. <laughs> which was cool because you'd, you'd go on like splits and stuff and you'd, you'd maybe go out with a French elder for the day and you know watch them teach lessons in French and and uh, but just specifically to the Spanish speaking program I taught somebody from every Spanish speaking country which is really wow. cool um, and you just learn different like slang and different <laughs> molismos is what mm-hmm. they call them Uh, from different countries because they have different words for things you think spanish is just like universal it's not at all um (laughs) like even the word for like a straw like you know it could be popote which is like what they call it in mexico it could be like pajilla pajita sorbete there's just like all these different words for straw and you're like oh my gosh you know it's just (laughs) just kind of blows your mind but (laughs) it was cool to be in dc and to learn those different 
like modismos or like slang of all the different countries because it was like an instant icebreaker yeah like you could walk up to somebody and be like oh where are you from and they're like i'm from el salvador and you're like oh so do you know how to make pupusas and they'd be like oh yeah how do you know about pupusas <laughs> that's and, cool and you know it just like you just show interest for their country and for them and and uh their culture and then they just you know they just embrace it and run with it which is it's really awesome so that's cool uh so would you mind just sharing like a story or two from your mission yeah um there's kind of a there's kind of a funny and intense one going along with the language so in my first area i started in the city city and like spanish alone was hard but as a companionship we shared a telephone right Mm -hmm. and we just alternate days which kind of like forces you to get good at spanish so one day i would have the phone for the whole day and i remember this one day i got a call from a member and she just kind of had this panicked voice and i was like hermana like what's wrong you know asking her and stuff and she's like it's my friend her son and she said something and i thought she said like her son was acostado um, and that she needed a blessing, and I was like, what? So, acostado means is like, you know, just like laying down or like is resting. So that's what I thought she said. So we like show up to this member's friend's house, and uh, the mom opens the door, and she's just like hysterical, like super nervous. Turns out she had just gotten off the phone with these people in Honduras who had kidnapped her son. Whoa. So she said her son, había sido secuestrado, which means had been kidnapped. And I thought she said acosado, which is laying in the bed, which is way different, obviously, <laughs> right? So we get there, and we're just like, oh, my gosh. And um, the lady wanted a blessing. And as hysterical as she was, she also had, like, that much faith. That's cool. Which was just incredible. So... They were asking, like, some ridiculous ransom for their son. Whoa. Um, because I don't... I'm, I'm sure you're familiar, but, like, even with cartel members and, and, like, places like that in those countries, like, even if they get the ransom, they normally still yeah. kill their victims and yeah. just pocket the money, which is terrible. Um, so we're going into this blessing, like, wow, this is intense. And... But this lady, she's just like, I just have faith that they're going to lower the ransom because they were asking like a hundred thousand dollars and she's like how's this lady gonna pay for that you know um but she had so much faith and and we just gave her this blessing and uh turns out that they did lower the ransom she was able to come up with the money and they actually let her son go so wow. it was it was a miracle and I, I mean i credit that to um that lady's faith and just you know how god works when we do have that exceeding faith as mm-hmm. well um, and then just as well, it was a lesson to me. Just really pay attention on the phone. Like, listen to every detail. Don't get your <laughs> words confused, you know, because yeah. it's, it's quite a game changer when you show up and you think somebody's just laying down in bed when they're talking about their son who's actually been kidnapped. So, Yeah. Man, and one thought that brought up is, like, I guess don't be afraid to um, <laughs> go try to help people or I don't know because I – I don't know how related this is, but, like, I was just thinking about how, like, people will ask for help sometimes, and we won't, a lot of people won't go help them because it's, like, 
seems like a socially unacceptable situation like you're you're at work or something and like it, it's just so weird to me where we draw the lines between like what we're willing to do for like our job or social pressures or like to go help someone or if you think it's like yeah because sometimes you could think it's a lost cause too yeah you know like that you're walking into a blessing and you know the history of these cartels and how they're just ruthless and you're yeah. like what's the point so I think sometimes we kind of do that in our mind as well like we see that car on the side of the road like somebody else will stop or you know what's the point like they yeah. probably know how to change a tire or <clears throat> just things like that um, yeah. reminds me of a story actually from that same institute class so when he would have us do that SAM acronym like the act of service yeah. he would kind of choose a person each day to share like one part of the acronym and there's this girl in my class who had the act of service one and she was sharing a story where she was shopping and she got this impression to put this lady's shopping cart away and she's like that's dumb it's like right over there you know like why would I put her shopping cart away um, and she got a really strong impression again to do it so she's, she goes up to her and she's like hey can I put your shopping cart away and the lady starts crying and she's like oh no you know like what did I do? And the lady was just in tears. She told her, she's like, my husband passed away last week. And ever since then, I've just seen that, you know, God has had me in his hands. That he's had people reach out to me to help me out just with the smallest things. Yeah. And that was like such a huge moment for her. Like knowing that, you know, like you said, even though sometimes it's like, where do we draw the line with like personal space and helping somebody mm -hmm. out? And it seems like a dumb act of service, but it can be very very meaningful and very impactful to to those people because you have no idea what they're going through essentially yeah so i've always been someone who's like been like uh, don't worry about me like don't you don't need to help me with anything and like it's made made it hard for me to kind of tell who i need to help or who feels the same way as me but like i don't know how do you go about just in everyday life um trying to serve other people like what do you look for or is it just kind of a thing you have to think of a lot um yeah that's that's a really good question that's a hard question um i think it also kind of relates to us trying to understand revelation because sometimes we're like well is that my thought or is that the spirit mm -hmm. and elder bednar gave a great talk on that where if you're living worthily you know like your thoughts are just as important and as the spirit because it's leading you to do good things yeah so that's kind of what I use like if it's leading me to do a good thing like even if I'm like hey that's stupid you know like maybe that's just your own thought like I'll I'll try my best to go and do it anyways because when we act upon spiritual impressions um, then I think Heavenly Father gives us more mm -hmm. and more opportunities to serve um, for me personally it's I have a hard time at looking people in the eyes like when I'm talking to them. <laughs> yeah. I try to get like way better at it, but it's hard. Um, but I think that's key. Just by people's facial expressions, you can tell a lot about what they're going through. Yeah. And for me in a busy airport, like right now between flights, I'll maybe have like 50 minutes because they got to sanitize the aircraft and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So I can walk around and I can, you know, stretch my legs or do whatever. Um, but if I keep my eyes open for that as well, I'll run into passengers who have that look on their face where they're like, where do I need to go? Or, you know, what's happening? So 
even me just stopping and like when you see that confused look like hey do you need help finding something especially because we live in utah and we have a new airport now so yeah everybody gets kind of lost um, <laughs> so just kind of pointing them in the right direction and and there's a lot of people there who don't speak english as well so if they speak spanish i can reach out to them as well help them find baggage claim or where their next flight is um so just small things like that that's kind of an example of like my day-to-day just like yeah based on their facial expressions like yeah this person looks lost or confused or needs help um yeah yeah that's interesting i it makes me think of just like with facial expressions and stuff um when like most videos i see of like and there's been lots of different actors who have played jesus but like when you know it's supposed to be jesus and stuff and like i think there's kind of an understanding of the energy that jesus gives off like you can tell it's just like this happy understanding look and i think that's kind of a look that we we can express as we like become more like (laughs) jesus and wait have you seen the chosen the i don't i don't know if i have it's it's pretty new i talked about it in like my last with the christmas one yeah 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 Yeah. but and it's so interesting because it brings up the thought of like all good comes from god and it's not an lds thing it's just christian i think that the director's an evangelist and um it's just so interesting to I just feel like a lot of times in our church people kind of put everything in a box and like super super concerned if it follows like every single thing that the church has in line but I think when there's something like that that's also bringing a lot of good um like it can I don't know it's especially impactful and can like help connect with others so what's something that you feel like is like I don't know that you've participated in or seen that you feel like is good that like doesn't come directly from the church that you love or you feel like connects you to other people man that's a good question for me I think just that our I mean obviously our church experiences can help shape us my mission probably shaped me more than than anything I know you've touched on sports on your podcast as well I played lacrosse mm-hmm. um which helped me to reach out as well um so that was definitely an activity that kind of branched me out but it's hard when you're living in utah to kind of have have like extracurricular activities that that help you you know serve some good that aren't essentially related to the church um (laughs) because it seems like almost everything is tied to the church which is good yeah yeah exactly but i don't know i would love to participate in more um just I feel like most of the like service opportunities and like community opportunities that we see are are normally kind of church driven yeah so did you grow up in Utah I did yeah I grew up in South Jordan oh yeah yeah you said you went to Bingham um so when you went on your mission what do you feel like was something that like I don't know because I feel people talk about how we kind of live in like a bubble here and it's like just this super uh you know the church uh (laughs) driven everything and just what is what are some things about like culture outside of our little gospel bubble that uh you noticed well i just i mean i think a lot of times growing up we think different is bad it's just because it gives us a an uncomfortable feeling because it's something we're not used to 
Like, there's that scripture of, like, the dog returning to his vomit. Like, the reason why he did that is because it was something he was comfortable with. (laughs) That's not always a good thing, you know? Like, that's a lot of times with, like, sin. Like, that was kind of a warning they gave us, like, after the mission. Like, don't be like the dog that goes back to his vomit. Like, things that he's comfortable with. So just going, like, with living in this bubble, we have this bubble that is... It is a very nice thing to an extent, but it can also be a very toxic thing, a very yeah. high-pressure thing, like you said, like everything fits in a box. Um, so for me, what was so comforting and what was so joyous was just how how awesome diversity was. Yeah. Like, I remember getting to D.C., and you could I could walk down a street in D.C., past 25 people, and they're all from different countries. And that was just that was awesome from like their experiences of how they came here or I'm a foodie. So like just the (laughs) different food that they would make, just like the whole difference of diversity was just such a beautiful thing to me, which I knew it would be, but I was shocked at how much I would love it and how much it would kind of change my life after that to the point where like, I love advocating for diversity. I love seeking out, you know, learning new things, learning about new cultures, learning about, you know, different histories and things like that. Yeah. Um, so for me, getting out of this uh, Utah bubble, because um, even in the bubble, we still have the same same trials. We still yeah. have the same afflictions that other people are, are afflicted with. We definitely have a privilege that, that we live with here. Um, and it's good to recognize that as well. Like when I was on my mission, I would sometimes teach you know these latinos where there's like a guy living in a one-bedroom apartment in dc which costs a lot of money but he's living in this teeny apartment with six other guys and the reason is is because you know some of them came here legally some of them couldn't afford to come here legally so they paid for like a coyote which helps them essentially get across the border you know because they're trying to escape like a civil war in their country so they have all these debts to like their so they're working like two or three jobs to pay for this apartment to pay off like any debts they owe like coyotes or family members and then you know whatever's left over they're not really spending it on themselves they're sending it to their families so that their kids could have a good education or you know to have a better life so it's it, there was so so many things on my yeah. mission that was just eye opening to me um, that changed who I am and, and, you know, just taught me what's, what's really important and what, I don't know, like, yeah, it, it was a beautiful thing. It was very much an eye-opening thing, but the sooner I realized that, you know, I could ride on my bicycle and, and realize kind of what you were saying just about that, you know, the, the facial expressions of Jesus. Like if we strive to have light in our lives and we strive to have that effect, it's a mirror effect. So if you go into a neighborhood and you're scared or you're nervous or you go into a lesson to teach and you're kind of the same way, like that's going to be reciprocated. Yeah. But if you go in with this light of Christ and this love for people and you're waving to people, even though they're like, what is this, you know, white kid doing on a bicycle, <laughs> like waving to me? Like yeah. it was, you know, 90% of the time reciprocated. They'd wave back. Sometimes I get a weird look. But like when you're when you're showing that love off as well, it's often sent back, which is which which is so heartwarming to me. Yeah. So, yeah, you talked about like we're kind of scared of 
being uncomfortable outside of the bubble and stuff and that's kind of been a huge thing in my life like I want consistency so bad and it's sometimes really bad for me just because like it doesn't leave me room to like go do things that I you know that the spirit prompts me to do or things like that and yeah I don't know um yeah so I have a hard time trying to break out of like the mold that I've built for myself but how do you feel like you changed I don't know like what did you I don't know how to ask this like what did you do after your mission that was different than before like how did you change the way you acted and like what was I don't know what did the mission change in you (laughs) for me man that's that's a very great loaded question (laughs) um I think my mission president put it best is you could go to Harvard, you could go to an Ivy League school, um, but the best education for life that you're going to get is on your mission. And they talk about that, how, you know, the MTC is the training center for the mission field, mm-hmm. but then the mission field's the training center for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. And I was out on my mission uh, from 2011 to 2013, and that's when Romney was running for president. So they kind of had, we actually got to watch the news for lunch, which was kind of weird as a mission, but it was because they had this Mormon moment. Um, I can't remember what news station it was, but they were talking about that, how a lot of missionaries come back and they they related a lot to the military. Because when people go into the military, they have a lot more extreme experiences, you know, life Mm -hmm. and death, things like that. But they come back from the military and they're just so driven that they know what they want in life. They know what matters most. And they're just go-getters. They they they're able to succeed a lot, um, and that's kind of how the mission was for me. Like when I came home, I was just super driven, um, just to exceed my goals and to go after them. And it just taught me how to talk to people. It taught me how to plan. It taught me how to use my time effectively. It also taught me what mattered most: taking the moment to do an act of service, even during finals week when you're stressed and you've got a million things going on. Um, So I think it just helps you really understand that balance and also understand, like, what brings true happiness. Yeah, that's really cool. And I feel like I kind of uh, experienced that a little bit on a lot smaller scale, and I'm sure it was a lot different just, like, coming back from EFY. Like, I remember our counselor on the last night was just, you know, he's like, just try to... Like, you can bring this spirit into your everyday lives, and, you know, (laughs) clearly, like, it's very hard to still have the same spiritual high always, but um, I feel like there was a, I don't know if there's a word for it, but after I got back, you know, it's like this sense of me wanting to go do all these things and talk to a bunch of people and stuff where it's like, overambitious maybe like i (laughs) right like you like over overbearance yeah Yeah, exactly exactly. and uh i don't know did you have a sense of that and like how did you handle that uh yeah i did actually and it's really hard um because you come back from the mission and you kind of have this mentality of like you want to save everyone you know yeah (laughs) and that includes friends who've maybe drifted away from the church Mm -hmm. um or even mission companions who have drifted away from the church. And there's, you know, the scripture that says, be bold but not overbearing. I think that's more in, like, I don't know, in, like, a a teaching standpoint. Um, For me, what helped me 
with that overbearance was just knowing timing, uh, the timing of the Lord, the timing of people. And I think because you're on a mission, you have those two years, it's, it's a clock, you know, like you can't stop it. So a lot of the, the pressure that you feel as a missionary is just so time oriented, like, hey, I could only be in this area for six weeks. I need to have as much success as I can in helping yeah. people. There's a lot of stress. So then when you kind of come home, you kind of have that same mentality of, hey, you know, like, I need to help this friend. There's out. only it's, so much life left yeah, for everyone. Exactly. But, you, I mean, I think we need to realize, and what has helped me is that you just need to be there for them. And you mm-hmm. just need to love them regardless. And it, And you don't have to pressure them into your timeline. Yeah, because they're already on the Lord's timeline, and that's what's helped me is like you know regardless of where my friends are at or where family members are at, I'm just gonna love them. And then whenever the time comes that they come to me and they're like, hey, you know what? Can you pray for me? You know, or I need help with this. Um, I think that's kind of the way to go about it. And then that's when you can be bold and tell them straight up, hey, you need to you need to change this in your life or hey this is what has worked for me yeah um and i think that kind of takes away the overbearance is just understanding that you know the lord's timeline's a lot a lot more precise and i think it's a lot longer than we think (laughs) even in this life you know when we look at it it's going to be a drop in the eternities but yeah yeah so that i think that helps with with overbearance just not feeling pressure to go save people right away because Mm -hmm. maybe it's not their timing yeah. Pray for those opportunities because if it is, then you can act on them right away. But you don't want to have like, which I'm afraid I, m- I might have had, you know, with some friends after coming home from my mission. You don't want to have like a negative kind of experience of like, whoa, dude, this came, this guy came home and he's like still in full missionary mode, you know, <laughs> trying to convert me or whatever. Yeah. You know, so it's just, I don't know, that that's kind of what helped me the most. Just understanding just the timeline of it kind of helps steer away from that overbearance yeah and like how you said god's timeline is long and i think it takes a long time for someone to have that mighty change of heart like it's and like for me as i've come closer to understanding god and christ like it's taken a long time and you know i look back and i'm like oh man i had this um, this amazing experience of conversion but like it took months and years and like it's not something you can force on anyone and i think something i have a hard time with is like i learn all these new things and i don't know what what i should tell people like uh um what things i should share with people that i did that like helped me or because like i'm like oh man if i just can help this person understand like exactly how i did it then they'll do it too and like you know everyone's a lot different (laughs) and so it becomes like this oh shoot what do I share and then sometimes it just I feel like I put myself in a box because I don't know what I should share (laughs) yeah that's hard too it's really hard especially if you can't really relate to the person yeah because they may be going through like the trial of their life especially for like kids your age like maybe their parents are getting divorced or maybe they're suffering from depression and like well if you don't have divorced parents or if you yourself don't have depression, yeah, it's really hard to empathize um, because it's not something that you've experienced. And that's what I've come to learn even as an adult as well. Sometimes you just need to listen. And then when the moment's right, just say, hey, I have zero idea 
of how to help you because I haven't gone through this. Yeah. But the Savior has, you know, because yeah. he's he's the perfect person mm-hmm. to to run to people um, when you're stuck like that. When you're like, yeah. I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't really help this person. But believe it or not, like you just being there for those people is also really helpful. Yeah. Like it's giving them somebody to lean on, and if the moment's right, you know, depending on their beliefs and, and how they feel, like, that may be all they need, just to vent it out, um, but it could also be, you know, the opportunity for you to just share your testimony of the Savior, and you could do it in a different experience, like, I went through this, I thought nobody else knew what I was going through, but, you know, I felt peace, because I knew the Savior went through it as well. Yeah. Um, so one thing, I've always had a hard time with a little bit is like when we, you know, we talk about coming unto God or Christ and then, you know, we just leave it at that. And then it's kind of like, okay, how do I do that? So I just want to ask you, like, what does it mean to you or how do you um, come unto Christ? That is, I mean, it's obviously with our daily actions. Um, but I think, for the most part, we just need to remember that Christ wants to come to us. Mm-hmm. There's a scripture in Second Nephi that talks about the Spirit, and it says it will carry the message unto the heart. It doesn't say it'll carry it into the heart. Mm-hmm. And That's that was weird. something we always focused on as missionaries, that as much as you bring the Spirit into the lesson, if their heart's not open, it's, it's not going to penetrate it because they're not willing to receive the message. Yeah. And so for me, I kind of feel the same way about my relationship with the Savior. Like, I know for sure He wants to be in my life. Um, so I think for me, it's just doing the things that will humble us, passing through really hard experiences with a positive attitude, um, not hardening our hearts, because that's what lets Christ into our life instead yeah. of just kind of us pushing him away there's that saying as well that christ is only an arm length away because that's as far as we can push him um <laughs> that's really good and it just for me that's kind of how i see it with christ like i know for sure he wants to be in my life um and i just gotta let him come unto me by not hardening my heart by not you know pushing him away essentially yeah just want you to know like i i'm feeling that like this is like it <laughs> it resonates with me what you're saying like that it's true and I you know I feel it I think I feel the spirit and I think it's I don't know I just love hearing other people's perspectives on it and like I think there's there's like very simple truths that uh, that can like help it click for anyone and just things like you say like he's only an arm's length away like it yeah I mean there's always and like you know he's never you're never too far below his reach and that's also <laughs> because he's like an arm I don't know <laughs> no, that, but that totally makes sense yeah yeah that's, that's I, I understand that and I think that's the cool thing and that's what I'm excited for like when you go on a mission as well because a lot of times we worry about that like what to share and how to empathize with people like what we we're talking about like what to say even if we can't relate but I feel like I truly believe that you're called to certain areas like because of what you've gone through personally mm-hmm. and the experiences you've had and just like kind of the type of person you were raised 
growing yeah. up. Like for me, I wasn't a very high baptizing missionary, mm-hmm. so to speak. And that was never my goal in the first place. Yeah. Um, and the crazy thing is, is Heavenly Father knew that. Like I was always transferred into areas like right after they had a lot of baptisms. And my goal on the mission was um, to get people to the temple. Because I feel like that's what creates like an eternal bond. Yeah. Both like with covenants and also with the church. And just staying active and, and, you know, nourishing that testimony with the Savior. So I thought it was so interesting. Like, I would show up to an area and they have all these new members. So then I would focus so much on, on teaching them the lessons again, answering questions, and, and building those bonds with them and other members of the ward, and trying to get them to the temple. And it can be very disheartening, especially because if they were just baptized and you know, they, they normally have to wait a year before they can go into the mm-hmm. temple and get sealed and things like that. So it can be kind of disheartening in the fact that maybe you won't see the fruits of that like while you're in the mission field, but then you can see it afterwards, and that gives yeah. you an excuse to go back and visit, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah, so. That's really cool. So it's almost like uh, your role was kind of strengthening new members. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I, I don't know, yeah, and I, I feel like that's just kind of the the person that I was growing up. I I was really shy as a kid, like, in primary, like, hated giving talks or whatever, you know. I, I, I didn't, I've never really liked the spotlight myself, mm-hmm. but I've always loved being a really good friend to, like, everyone. Like, almost to my detriment, you know. <laughs> like, in, like yeah. when I talked about those middle school times, when... I was a punk and I and I ran around with the wrong crowd and stuff like that like even when I made the changes in my life I can't leave those friends like that's just not something in me where I can just like abandon people and just give up on them yeah and it it would like hurt my heart essentially like seeing them do certain things to themselves and others um, but I think that is kind of what molded me into the type of missionary that Heavenly Father wanted me to be so that when I was in the field like me focusing on that relationship with those people who had just jumped into the church it's a big leap of faith especially you know if their family members aren't on board with it and stuff like that like i was able to help those people because of kind of how i was molded before the mission which was cool yeah that's cool i think everyone needs to remember like your role is very personal (laughs) and it is based off of what you've gone through and who you've become um what else did i want to ask uh, maybe now we can just talk a little bit about <laughs> your uh, job just as a pilot. So, how when did you just or when did you get an idea that you wanted to do that? So it's kind of an ironic situation because as a kid we drove everywhere. My dad doesn't like flying, um, and I just I don't know. Our our house in South Jordan is under the approach to the center runway, so I think I think growing up just seeing airplanes fly over my house all the time kind of gave me that bug Uh, I always wanted to be a pilot like since I was little (laughs) which I consider a blessing because I didn't have to change majors a lot you know like school Um, so yeah I just always wanted to fly which is weird because I'd never been on an airplane ever when was the first time you went on an airplane the first time I went on an airplane so do you guys have like um, tech centers and stuff where you can like go to school half the day 
Oh yeah, some of, yeah, yeah. I so don't do that, but yeah, like the applied technology centers. Yeah. So I think it was like my um, sophomore or junior year, right before I turned sixteen. Like I wanted to start taking some of the aviation classes at the tech center, and my parents were kind of like, "Well, shouldn't you make sure that you actually like flying first? <laughs> so because I'd never been on a plane. So crazy. For my sixteenth birthday, my mom bought me a discovery flight, is what they call it, or like an intro flight. So you essentially go to the airport, um, a flight instructor there takes you kind of on just this introductory flight, and just you just kind of, it's like sightseeing, you just kind of fly around, they let you fly the plane and stuff. So my first ever flight was um, for my 16th birthday, and I actually <laughs> got a takeoff. The instructor was super cool, so he like kind of told me how the, the rudder pedals worked and how you steer on the ground and stuff like that. And he let me take off. So the first time I was ever in a plane, I actually got to take off. That's crazy. Which was cool. And <laughs> um, I don't know. And then just the bug that I had was just plantly, like firmly planted. I was like, oh, well, I love this. So, <laughs> so it just, I don't know. After that, it was just a dangerous, expensive um, path because, you know, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I still love it. I, I love the actual portion of my job of flying planes. There's obviously ups and downs, pun intended, or, <laughs> you know, pros and cons. But yeah. for me, I think the pros still outweigh the cons, and it yeah, yeah. It's, it's very fun. That's cool. Um, how long did it take? I mean, how much, like, school and stuff did you have to go through to get to that point? Um, it kind of depends the route you take. For me, since I knew what I wanted to do and I didn't have a degree yet, I got a degree in aviation, so it was a four-year degree. Mm -hmm. uh, I did that at UVU. Um, through their aviation science program. So when you get a degree in aviation, it gives you certain benefits. You can get hired at a at an airline with 500 less hours of total flight time. You can get hired at about 1,000 hours um, mm -hmm. instead of 1,500 hours in a plane. Yeah. So that's a benefit. That's kind of the reason why I did that. But I have friends who are interested in it as well who have degrees, or I know people who have kind of made a career change. And you can just go to, like, some mon pa flight school or they have like pretty accelerated programs where you can just dive right in and knock out all your ratings uh, fairly quickly and you can do that route as well mm. um, the major airlines they don't require that your degree be in aviation they just like you to have a bachelor's degree so yeah so wait are you in do you fly for one of the major airlines i do or? not yet i fly for skywest airlines mm. and they're a regional affiliate um and when I say SkyWest, people are like, oh, you fly for Southwest? I love them. I was like, no, not Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason is, like, we we have very few planes that actually have, like, SkyWest painted, like, in big on the plane, you know? Mm -hmm. um, SkyWest actually started in St. George, which is really cool. So it's kind of yeah. like a local company. And they have contracts with uh, four major carriers. So they have contracts with Delta, United, American, and Alaska. So based on where you're based or domiciled, you fly routes for those different carriers, which is cool. So out of Salt Lake, I'll do Delta trips and I'll do United trips. And so on the side of the plane I fly, it says Delta Connection or it'll say United Express. And a lot of people think they're flying, you know, Delta Mainline or United, but it's actually SkyWest. So huh. they, they contract us out to fly like those shorter routes. Um, for them essentially yeah so what does it take like on an actual flight <laughs> like as the pilot because like 
I don't know how much of it is like autopilot when you're in the air or I don't know what how much <laughs> work do you have to do like with takeoff and landing and everything a lot of the work is just coming beforehand and in the training um, yeah honestly like if everything goes smoothly it's a very easy job huh. um, but if something goes wrong with your car you know you can kind of just like pull over to the side of the road and work it out you can't necessarily do that in a plane <laughs> right especially if you're flying so a lot of our a lot of our training um i would kind of joke about this like when i did my multi-engine training that's when you're learning to fly a plane and getting your rating to fly a plane with two engines most of the time during that training you're flying with one engine still <laughs> you're practicing as if one of your engines has failed uh, um, so you're always practicing the worst case scenario yeah that's that funny. is the hardest part about the job is just the prep that goes into it um, and then I'd say probably some of the most important part is just saying um, situationally aware so situational awareness is something that is just driven into you when you fly and that's just knowing you know what's around you knowing the terrain knowing the weather conditions knowing if this plane has any maintenance problems, knowing the checklist, know the emergency procedures. That's the stuff that's hard um, mm -hmm. that you have to keep up on. But other than that, like the actual flying part, uh, it kind of depends on the pilot. For me personally, I, I still love flying. So I will normally hand fly the airplane without the autopilot on from takeoff until about 15,000 feet, maybe 16,000 feet. And then I'll have the autopilot turned on hmm. and then because it crews you're not really doing much anyways it just yeah yeah it's kind of boring but <laughs> <laughs> and then when i when i come down the land um that's when once i get the airport inside again um or get you know since pretty close to having the airport inside then i'll turn the autopilot off again and land yeah um and the funny thing is is with a lot of pilots we actually enjoy like challenging days we don't enjoy the delays that sometimes come with them, but like when it comes to like crosswinds or like adverse weather conditions, you're <laughs> like, oh sweet, like you know I get to land in a crosswind. Wow. Um, just because you know it helps you stay sharp on those things. And for me personally, that's why I enjoy flying with the autopilot off as well, is because I, I never want to lose those skills. Yeah. Uh, those stick and rudder skills essentially. That's true. So when you hit like turbulence in the middle of a flight, what do the pilots have to do? Is there uh, not much, to not be much. honest. Like <laughs> our biggest concern are the are the people behind us. Yeah. So our passengers and our flight attendants, because if you hit turbulence, and it's unexpected, you know, like the the cart could be out with hot coffee on it or water, <laughs> and there's nothing besides gravity that's keeping that thing to the ground. You know, yeah. so those carts have been launched sometimes, and uh, sometimes flight attendants like they can stumble or hit their head yeah. or something. So. Uh, we try our best with we have some apps on our iPads that kind of help us know if it's going to be turbulent or not ahead um, but the biggest thing are, are other people so uh, if you have a plane essentially ahead of you a lot of times you're on the same jet route or Victor Airway essentially like a highway in the sky so mm -hmm. you can ask air traffic control hey how are the rides ahead and they'll tell you oh this person had light turbulence here this person had moderate and if there's any like severe turbulence or anything like that like we we just try to steer clear of those areas yeah. for sure if we encounter turbulence that was expected or um even unexpected essentially all we do is we make sure the people behind us are seated 
so the passengers and the flight attendants and then we just got to watch our airspeed um, every, most jets I'd say probably every jet has like a certain airspeed that's like a turbulence penetration speed um, to where you're gonna be slow enough to where you could make any movements you want or if the plane bumps around it's not gonna you know damage the plane at all yeah. but not too slow to where it's gonna like stall or have anything like that happen so that's that's what we do if we get into turbulence we we uh, make sure that we're at the airspeed we need to be at that's that's essentially it mostly turbulence though I mean these planes are so strong like if you ever watch like a wing test on YouTube like they will bend that wing so many degrees and then it'll finally snap and it's like you know the wings never gonna get it like gonna that on <laughs> yeah. so mostly for us turbulence is just annoying it's yeah. just I mean because then you get nervous passengers and stuff like that um, and it's annoying because you know you have to deal with it and then people can't get up and use use the bathroom yeah. <laughs> but yeah I'd say just kind of the most thing we just want to make sure everybody's seated so that they're not gonna get injured just from getting bumped around but yeah has there ever been like a super scary moment in that you've had in flying planes? Um, not, not really. I've had a couple emergencies like in training. Um, there's definitely moments that'll get your heart rate going. Yeah. And like one time we had a baby who had a seizure on our flight, so oh. that's that's nerve wracking because then you're like, oh man, should we divert? Should we go to this airport? Like there's moments like that that'll. But, I mean, you're, you're trained for it. You know what yeah. to do. And the cool thing is, like, 90% of the time, there's, like, a doctor on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can you can use those resources, you yeah. know. Um, I'd say probably one of the most nerve-wracking but exciting moments was just, like, my first time flying, you know, a commercial jet. Because you got, you know, 70 people behind you. And, I mean, you're, you're excited. You're trained for it. But it's just like, oh, this is crazy. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people. Um, so in the chosen, like the third episode, Jesus is talking to like a bunch of little kids and I can't remember the exact context, but he says, uh, something along the lines of everyone has a job that's greater than their trade. And it's like, you know, referring like to the kingdom of God and stuff. But I just want to know like how that relates to your job. So like, how do you feel like, uh, the gospel plays a role in what you do? with flying well it requires a lot of faith so like i have to have trust in the instruments um and for me i don't know just having having a faith in god has helped me have faith in the instruments yeah because <laughs> really huge part of your pilot training is instrument training that's like the second rating you normally get and what that allows you to do is fly solely on your instruments and We've had a, a bunch of President Uchtdorf talks about this, which I love. I yeah. love his flying stories. <laughs> but um, it's so true because when, when you're learning, learning to fly solely on your instruments, that's like it, if you could not look outside and, like, whether that's because you're flying in the middle of the night and it's pitch black or if you're in the clouds and you have these instruments that help you stay on course, but, you I mean, you got to trust them. You know, it's and it can be hard to do. So just to kind of put that into perspective, we do um, some instrument approaches that use technology to keep you laterally and vertically on course. And some of those approaches, you won't see the runway until you are 100 feet over the ground. Yeah. So it's crazy. And those are those are really exciting to a pilot just because 
most of the time you land it's like severe clear you know it's a visual approach it's easy um, but you could be coming in at you know 130 miles an hour trusting your instruments and you're just hoping that you break out you know of the clouds like right over the runway you know and and that's that's what's exciting because that that'll that'll really test your faith especially the first <laughs> couple times you do it yeah and then it just gets to the point where you're like yeah these these instruments are incredible you know they work yeah. they're, they're pretty foolproof and yeah yeah it, it's interesting to think about you know trusting those types of things like technologies and stuff that people have created and it kind of makes me think that uh just you know if you do all that you can and those types of things still end up failing <laughs> then i think there's like you know god had something else in mind for you <laughs> but obviously you know there's not many plane crashes and whatnot right but yeah it's yeah. definitely the safest way to travel still but even yeah like what you're touching on like even with soli not sure if you saw that movie um, with uh, no. uh, captain sullivan oh, um, oh. Wait. i'm having a brain fart on his first name right now but uh, he's the one who landed in the Hudson, right? Yeah, so yeah. he departed LaGuardia. They hit a flock of geese, you know, took out both engines. That's way rare, <laughs> like, for both engines to fail yeah. on you. Um, especially if you hit a flock of geese. Like, maybe, even if you have geese go through both engines, like, there's a chance that you're still going to have at least partial power in yeah. one of them. Like, they do bird tests on engines and stuff. Wow. So... <laughs> A lot of the training, like I said, we do even in the airline industry is to practice flying with one engine. But even for him, you know, he lost both. So he was put in a situation to where he kind of had to assess and, and see what his options were. And he put it down in a river and everybody survived, you know. So there are those very rare occasions. Um, but I think that just goes back to readiness. And that's very gospel related as well. Um, one of my favorite talks is I don't think it was a talk actually I think it's when Elder Bednar visited our mission one of the missionaries because he, he did kind of a Q&A after he, he spoke to us and I think a missionary asked like you know how are we supposed to know what to do in every situation or how are we supposed to know what to do regarding this rule if it's not in the white handbook you know because you have your missionary handbook that your set of rules that you live by and he's like that's kind of the purpose of the white handbook is not to contain every rule yeah or every situation uh, it's it's impossible you know it'd be <laughs> it'd be a million pages long yeah. of every rule he's like but what it does if you, if you follow the the missionary handbook if you follow those guidelines and for me as a pilot if if i stay up on my training if i stay current on like my knowledge of emergency procedures what that does is it helps you be prepared for unexpected situations you know um, yeah. the reason why Soli was so successful is because he knew to start you know the APU which is like their generator right away he knew what to do and his his skills and his instincts because of his past experiences are what what allowed him to be successful and I think that's the same way with the missionary handbook you're living by that way so that you can have the spirit with you yeah so that when you're put in a situation that's unscripted or that there's not a set of rules for you will know what to do because yeah. you have the spirit with you yeah. essentially if that makes sense yeah so, that, so it's like you don't you don't gain all the knowledge of how to do everything you just gain the knowledge of 
like how to be in tune with what can tell you how to do everything <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and it'll and it'll put you i don't know in a situation where you're you're ready for the unexpected so yeah to speak. and i think it's the same with the book of mormon and everything like there's just these principles that like if you follow them then you will have be ready for those types of things yep. even though in the book of mormon we think it can cover every situation you know <laughs> it's just because yeah. it's like oh it's so long but it has a lot no there's still situations where you know there still isn't a story maybe it won't relate to people or whatever but you know it'll help them be ready for it yeah that's true um so before we close up i wanted to ask you a few questions first off what is something that you wish you had known when you were my age just like a teenager um, I think that relates back just to kind of that that light bulb switch I had in my life. I think as a middle schooler, I was so wanting to fit in oriented. I cared so much about mm-hmm. um, what other people thought. And then I had that moment where I just cared what God thought. And that even includes, you know, over my parents because... I mean, you can get into arguments with your parents, and and that's what I would do as a middle school kid. I I would I'd butt heads a lot with my dad. And then, ironically, like as soon as I cared most about what God thought, my dad and I got along a lot better. My parents and I got along, and I was just a lot happier. So the whole scripture of fearing God more than man, in a sense of also caring about God more yeah. than man, and like what He thinks of you, that not only relieves a lot of stress on you as a teenager like fitting in but it shows you what's most important and the best side effect of that is you will be infinitely happier yeah like i don't know just the whole as soon as that switched in me and i cared more about what god thought than other people i was happier i was more enjoyable to be around and it and it didn't even have any negative effects with (laughs) my friends like i stopped swearing i stopped you know doing a you know i don't know just being a punk but guess what they were still my friends and they still loved me and they still accepted me and i was just way happier and if anything i was also a good influence on a lot of those friends as well so it was just like all these positive things which which i I don't know i don't know why i was so afraid that it'd have like negative consequences but there was literally zero that's cool so just remember that or care more about what god thinks of you (laughs) exactly Yeah. yeah And, like, no one else is thinking of you, about you, as much as God is anyway. And he knows you perfectly and, like, your potential and everything. So, I don't know. It's definitely something that we have to work on. Exactly. And I would, I would even go further and say nobody's thinking about you as much as you and God yeah. are thinking about you. Because I think <laughs> a lot of times you're like, oh, well, what if I wear this? What are people going to think? It's like, they're not. <laughs> it's like you're, you're overthinking it yourself, you know. And, yeah, so for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'm going to start asking this every time. I don't know. I'm trying to build up some routine questions, but, uh, if you died today and God said to you, like, if nothing else, what were three things that you learned that you want to take with you to the next life? What would they be? So I thought about this one. This one's really hard. Um, (laughs) for me, I, I know Um, just what we can take with us is knowledge so part of me knows that my experiences will serve me in in this in this life afterwards Um, 
I had a hard time thinking of these. I thought more of a, I guess, just, I don't know. It's kind of like things were like, I don't know if I could take them with me. <laughs> yeah. um, which would be a highlight reel, which is kind of funny. But like, yeah, of your life. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I want to be able to have memories from my from this life. I yeah. would love to take that with me. And I kind of joke about this, like if if something ever cool happened, like whether it was in lacrosse or whatever, like I would say like, oh man, I hope this is on my highlight reel. Yeah. <laughs> and so part of me just thinks when we make it there that I can just be like, you know, hey Siri or hey Alexa, <laughs> play my highlight reel and I could I could rewatch those memories. So that's something that I would love to take with me. Yeah. Um, I would love to take photographs with me. I, I truly enjoy seeing God's creations here on earth. Um, that kind of goes along with memories, but I I sometimes get afraid. I mean, I'm sure we'll be able to look back and, and see all these things again, but I would love to be able to take those with me as well um, for the memory's sake and just seeing God's beauty's sake. And then one thing that I would love to take with me is to remember the feeling of pain and doubt and fear. Because I think that's one thing that's going to go away. Hmm. Just because once we leave this life, I feel like we're going to have perfect faith. Yeah. And we're going to be able to see Christ. And I would love to remember, I don't know, maybe for whatever's in the future, to remember what it's like to have doubt or fear. Um, to be able to empathize with people for that or, you know, whatever plans God has for us in the future. To be able to use that tool... Um, to kind of be able to go forward because I feel like a lot of times as kids and teenagers as well we think oh I wish my parents remembered what it was like to be my age right yeah (laughs) and I try to do that as a dad now but I think when we do make it to the next life I think it'd be cool to kind of remember that like what it was like to be scared or fearful or to have doubt and not a perfect faith so just I don't know, for any sake of just being able to remember what people have to go through. That's really cool. And I think that's one of the biggest things we're here to learn, you know, like learn good from evil. And you can't really have that joy without the experience. And I think it's the same, like, I'm sure that Christ and God went through that. And obviously Christ went through um, all of our pains and like and I'm sure (laughs) as a result of that, he probably can comprehend the most possible joy than any of us and um yeah I think that's really important like we we shouldn't want to just forget everything bad that happened like I think they're valuable yeah exactly so I guess you could tie almost all three of mine into memories <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but but yeah it just I think they're just valuable valuable yeah. experiences and I guess since this is like such a small glimpse of eternity then it is like okay hopefully we can remember as much of this as possible yep um, so just lastly, I just like to hear just what do you what's a positive message you have for the world? Like it's been a hard year for a lot of people, and it's you know life's always have stuff to throw at people. But what from what you've learned in life is something you feel positive that you can say to people? Um, well, this kind of goes to I don't know who the original author of this quote is, but I heard Jack Johnson say it once. Um, where small acts, when multiplied by millions of people, can transform the world. Um, I, I know it's been passed around a bunch, of, uh, you know, along a bunch of people, but 
I think that's so true because a lot of times we get so overwhelmed in the world that we think, how can I make a difference? You know, and that goes back to the acronym that my institute teacher had us do with Sam, you know, with the significant scripture, act of service, and a missionary moment. Those seem like small things, but if you're doing them and if millions of people are doing them, that's what creates global change. Or if anything, that's what creates a change in your family yeah. or a change in your friends or a change in your community, you know. So that that would be kind of my piece of advice is just keep doing the little things. Yeah. And your ripple effect, you know, it's it's going to go a lot further than, than you can even see in this life. Mm-hmm. Because you doing something positive for somebody else can motivate them to do it for somebody else and it can just go on and on. So as small or as little or as insignificant as it seems just you know just do it <laughs> like you said a couple of podcasts ago just do it but yeah those small acts are they're powerful yeah so one thing that made me think of like more on an individual level i'm not sure what the exact quote is but it's something along the lines of like we tend to overestimate what we can do in a day but underestimate what we can do in a year and oh. i think that's uh you know, like you were saying, it's like with everyone, our part is really small and then like it all comes together. And then I like to think of it because like I think the way days, the way God <laughs> made days is like really in like really cool because like just the fact that you can go to bed and like wake up and just make it a new like you can do new things and tr- uh, try to be a better person. It's almost like every single, like over the course of a year, every single one of those is like a different person and you're adding all of that up and just think about all those people who can do all those little things. And then for yourself, add all those versions of yourself together, it becomes something really cool. And exactly. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Yeah. It creates a masterpiece. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you for doing this. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I enjoy your podcast and i'm excited for more episodes to come i don't know what i'm gonna do when i have this void when you go on your mission but <laughs> i'll have to fill it <laughs> two with some, years of well i have been not as cool podcasts but yeah maybe i'll maybe i'll get your missionary emails that'll probably yes. do it <laughs> <laughs> and i have a friend who uh his brother is uh he sends like voice memos like for his emails and oh stuff, that's which cool. Is cool yeah. yeah you'll have to do that then. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like if i was a missionary uh, when COVID started, I'm sure they would let me do like this podcast stuff, and who yeah. knows how COVID will be when I go out. But yeah, yeah, maybe. That's sweet. <laughs> but all right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.